Paul says, wherefore, or the writer of Hebrews says, I believe it's Paul, but uh, the writer of Hebrews says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And we all understand the, way, the, the sin that which does so easily beset us. I don't think any of us have a question about that. We understand that there are sins out there that they can easily gain a foothold in our life. And if we're not on guard for them, if we're not watchful for them, they will easily beset us. But over the years, I've taught and I've preached about weights that were not necessarily sinful things, but things that would take our heart and our mind away from the Lord Jesus Christ. This past Wednesday, there were some things that took place in my life that uh, had me really burdened. My heart was very, very heavy Wednesday. And when I came to church, literally when I was walking from the house to the church, I, um, I, was, I was thinking, Lord, I don't even know if I can preach tonight. I mean, my heart was so heavy and so burdened. And I, 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 as much as I tried to uh, just give it to the Lord and, and lay it at His feet and walk away from it and cast my care on Him, as soon as I would get done praying that and saying, Lord, I want to just give it to you, I'm going to let you deal with it, I, I immediately would come out of that prayer with that burden still there on my heart. And I was telling, I think I was telling John this the other day, or somebody, Mark or somebody the other day, I said, even though sometimes we know that we're to cast our care on the Lord, and, and, and we know all the ins and outs, we know the nuts and bolts academically that we're supposed to do this, how often it burdens our hearts. And it burdens them to the point where it hinders God's working in our lives. And I got a whole new view of what I believe the writer of Hebrews was speaking of here when he spoke of the weights. Because I, I, as much as I tried Wednesday night before I got here to get that burden off and just give it to the Lord, it was still there. And I was so grateful and thankful. But by the time we got to praying on Wednesday night, that burden had been lifted quite well, just hearing how God blesses. And I say all that to say this, that... Uh, we need to be very, very careful that we not get distracted spiritually. Uh, both from things of the world and from burdens that seem to weigh us down. We begin to focus on the burden. We begin to focus on what is the solution to that. And it's not very long before we are distracted spiritually. So let me give you uh, some things that I think in, in the light of all of this that's going on in society. I told you about the lady this week that uh, wrote, but how? You know, how are we going to do this? If we need to fix our society, if we as God's people, you know, what is the correct way for us to respond in the day that we're living in? So let me give you six things uh, from God's Word. The first one is Acts chapter number 13, verse number 49. Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 49. The Bible says, let's back up to verse number 38. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Can I tell you this? Uh, the first and greatest response we as God's people should have in light of the society that we live in today, the answer for it is preach the word. Preach the Word. The, the problems of our society did not start, and neither will they be solved in Washington, D.C. Just not going to happen. The problems of our society began when our spiritual uh, 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 inclination 
was, was distracted and our focus was changed and our churches began to have watered-down preaching and they began to teach man's philosophy and man's uh, ideas in the pulpits and, and the power of God's Holy Spirit and the preaching of God's Word began to take a back seat and a low priority. All of a sudden in our society, we see them taking prayer out of schools and Bible reading out of schools. We see them taking the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses and uh, telling us that separation of church and state meant that the church should not have any influence on government. That was never the cause of that statement. The statement in our Constitution was to protect the church from the government, not the government from the church. The church was certainly to have influence, biblical influence, godly influence over the decisions of our spiritual leaders, so much so that many of our early uh, leaders in this country considered it a, a failure if they would begin their day with anything less than praying. And so we find that the first and probably greatest solution, one of the greatest needs to remedy the things that we're seeing in our society today, is that we have a revival among our churches and God's people of proclaiming the Word of God. Putting it back out there again. Keeping it in front of the lost world. We, uh, we see a, a neglect of that in the day that we live. The second thing that I think that we should be doing is found in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 42. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. And here we find a list... Of course, the doctrine being first, the proclaiming of God's Word, which we spoke about. But second only to that is the fellowship that is involved. And can I tell you this? I believe the second thing that is necessary for us to combat these things in our society is for God's people to encourage one another in the work. It's amazing to me (laughs) over my lifetime, and it's not a laughing matter, but I laugh to keep from crying, to be honest with you, in some cases. But I never cease to be amazed that when a Christian brother or sister falls, how quick other Christians are to kick them while they're down, to dispose of them. Can I tell you this? We're in a battle against Satan. Can I tell you this? Our flesh is weak enough that Satan will get the victory from time to time. We do not need other brothers and sisters in Christ coming around us and condemning us and telling us how awful we are and telling us that they're going to break fellowship with us. We need somebody to come and put their arm around us and encourage us and help us get back and do what we're supposed to do. It amazes me how quickly we shoot our wounded. We live in a society today that we've got to reach this, this world with the gospel. And the more people we have out here preaching and teaching the Word of God, the more people that we have out here proclaiming the gospel, the more that that's going to help our society. We don't need to be shooting our wounded. We don't need to be casting them out and excommunicating them from our fellowship. We need to be an encouragement one to another. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, shoot him. It's found in most churches' Bibles. But that's not what my King James Bible says. It says, ye which are spiritual, what? Restore them. You know what the word restore means? To bring back to its original condition. Can I tell you this? If there was a time and a place where that person was close to the Lord, and now they're away from it, our purpose is to restore them back to where they're close to God again. There needs to be some encouragement among God's people. I was telling somebody the other day, I was talking to them about a particular person in our church. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to point them out. But so many people in our church are gifted in this area. And I said, I believe this particular person, that God has given them a special ability to just be an encouragement. That seems to be the ministry that God has given to them. 
And it's amazing what a word of encouragement does to somebody who either has already fallen into sin or somebody who is fatigued and, and wore out from the war that they've been involved in, this spiritual warfare, those that are tired in the battle, how much a word of encouragement will do to encourage them along the way, to re-energize them, to get them excited about proclaiming the Bible again and being able to share the gospel with somebody again. And the fact that we need to have encouragement one for another. They continued, the Bible says here, steadfastly. This was something they did on a regular basis. In doctrine and in fellowship, there was an absolute encouragement. And when I look at the early church, and, I look at, and I'm not trying to give our church a big head, and as soon as I say this, Satan's going to do something and cause our church to... I, I don't want that at all. But I look at our church and I think this is about as close to the early church as I've found in this lifetime with the area of fellowship and encouraging one another. I, I, this is a rare church. It really is in many ways. And I thank the Lord for it. But, oh, there needs to be so much more of this. Number three, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And let's look in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I love this in verse number 11. And such... What's the next word here? Were. That's past tense, isn't it? Such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can I tell you this, number three? We need to seek and have a desire to grow daily. I am thankful that I am not what I used to be. My goodness, am I glad I am not what I used to be. But can I tell you this? I cannot live every day thankful I'm glad I'm not what I used to be. I need to be looking to say I want to be better than I was today, though. I want to be better tomorrow. I want to pursue, I want to grow in the grace of God daily. A year from now, I want to look back and say, I thank God I'm not what I was a year ago. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me how many Christians are satisfied with where they're at spiritually. Paul said at the end of his ministry, not as though I'd already attained. He said, I've not achieved it. I've not made the, the I've pressed toward the mark. I didn't make it. I didn't quite get there. But he continued to press until the day he died, until his race was finished, until the race was run. He continued to press for that mark. Can I tell you this? Let's not let's not coast in our Christian lives. If we're going to if we're going to change the the direction of our society, there's got to be some saltiness to our Christianity. There's got to be some light. There's got to be some power. There's got to be some energy that God puts in us. The Bible calls it the unction of the Holy Ghost. There's got to be something that takes place in our lives that we are out and making a difference because of what God is doing in our lives and through us. So we need to proclaim the gospel. We need to encourage one another. Number three, we need to seek and have a desire to grow daily into being more of what God would have us to be. Such were some of you. I'm thankful. He says, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. We're cleaned up. We're fit for the Master's use. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and by the Spirit of our God. Can I tell you this? We need to walk in the grace and the knowledge of God every day. The Bible says to walk in the Spirit and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to make sure that we are doing every day more and more to grow in the Christian life. And let's not get stagnant. Let's not stand where we're at. Uh, Let's be walking. Let's be running. Let's be pressing toward the mark. All right, number four, 1 Timothy chapter number three. We're almost done. 1 Timothy chapter number three. And look with me in verse number, um, let's go to verse number 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So Paul is telling Timothy, you need to learn how to behave yourself in the house of God, because the house of God is the pillar and it's the ground of truth. When the world looks for truth, where do they look? They look to the church because the church has the Word of God. We are the defenders. We are the propagators. We are the, the uh, declarers of God's truth. And we are the institution that God has established for the purpose of defending and propagating His Word. We've been given the responsibility to hold it forth with, with honor and with great distinction and with great reverence and to proclaim it to a lost and a dying world. God has entrusted it to us. He's given it to us in our trust. And what are we doing with it? I think oftentimes in the parable of the talents, we've been given such a great and valuable gift, the Word of God itself. He's entrusted it to us. What are we doing with it? He says that thou oughtest know, know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. Why? Because how we conduct ourselves in the house of God, in a large part, is a testimony to the lost and dying world about the truth that resides inside this church house. The truth that we've been given the responsibility to undergird and uphold and be the pillar and ground of. Does our, does our outside matter? Does our life matter? Does, do our actions matter? Absolutely. So number four, we need to live by example. We need to live by example. I heard a preacher say it this way. The only Bible some people will read will be your testimony. We proclaim that we have the truth, but if our life does not exhibit any change other than the world, then how in the world will they know that we have truth? So there has to be a a testimony. There has to be an example. There has to be a godliness. There has to be a holiness about us. Not in arrogance. Not a, not a piety of the, of the Pharisees who uh, prided themselves in how pure and how right and how glamorous they were, but in a spirit of humility that we live the Word of God in front of people and that we let them know, hey, I've got the truth and it did something. Such were some of I. <laughs> Wasn't good grammar, but according to Scripture. I used to be that way. But there's been a truth that has transformed me. And not only am I going to tell you about it, I'm going to show you. This truth is real. It's done something in me. I was sharing with my friend Dave who just came to church this morning. What a blessing to have him here. I was sharing with him. I said, he said, I, I, I wonder sometimes even if there is truth. I said, Dave, I know the truth is real. And I said, here's how I know. Because it's changed me. I know what it's done in here. I said, because of that, I know that it's truth. I know that it's right. We need to live by example. Not to put on a show. 
Can I tell you this? Don't live by example because you want to try to impress the people in our church. Make them think that you're spiritual. That is not the right reason. Don't have a good testimony because you're afraid of what the people you fellowship with will think of you if you don't. It's the wrong reason. Live by example because God has entrusted us with His Word. And we want to display that Word not only in in word, but also in deed. We want to be able to proclaim it to a lost and a dying world, not only with our lips, but with our lives. We want to make sure they know that there's a truth that is a transforming truth. Something that changes the inner man. When you live by example. Number five, I guess we're on. Acts chapter number five. Acts chapter number five. And uh, let's go to verse number 29. Acts chapter number 5, verse number 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Number number 5, I guess, is where we're at. Don't drift from God's Word. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. Don't drift. Don't, Don't compromise. Don't move. Don't change. I'll tell you when you can change. You ready? You can mark this down. You can write it down. You can tell people, Brother Greg said this. And they won't believe a word of it. You can tell Brother Greg said this. This is when you can change, all right? When God's Word changes. Until then, don't change. When the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, I don't think there's going to be a lot of change in happening anytime soon. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 58, verse many of you probably have memorized. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Can I tell you this? Our world is starving for some men and women of God to tell the truth of God's Word and not deviate from it. Our world is so sick and tired of seeing Christians, so-called, or people who name the name of Christ, Say, I believe the Bible to be true, except in this area of my life. I believe the Bible is right, except when it costs me this much. They need to see some Christians that no matter the price, no matter the cost, will say, I stand firm and resolved on the Word of God. There needs to be a steadfastness. Our society has drifted because Christianity has drifted. I think in our churches, sometimes we believe that our Christianity drifted because the world drifted. No, no. We're the ones there to be the salt and the light to the world. If the world has drifted, it's because we have. There is a difference. We need to be steadfast. Number six, and we'll be done. Galatians chapter number five. Galatians chapter number five. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Do I have liberty? Absolutely. There are things that I can do that I'm still saved and on my way to heaven. I live under the grace of God. There are certain things I have liberty in, according to Scripture. But you know, above all of that, I'm to, in love, serve one another. 
I'm not to let my liberty be an occasion for the flesh. I'm not to let my liberty be a hindrance to another brother or sister in Christ. My first consideration needs to be for the well-being of others. Brother Greg, don't you have liberty in that matter? Absolutely. But if it's going to be harmful to another Christian, my first priority is to love them. We need to have a revival of God's people loving one another again and making that the priority. I'm not saying you have to compromise. We're talking about liberty here, not not conviction or not doctrine. We're talking about liberty. I do not have to use my liberty. And if it's going to be offensive or hurtful to another Christian brother or sister, my first priority is their well-being, not my liberty. I'm thankful I have liberty. But I'm more thankful I have a brother or sister in Christ. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to encourage one another. We need to seek and to desire to grow daily. We need to live by example. We need to remain steadfast and not drift from the Word of God. And we need to love the brethren. And folks, I believe if we would do some of these things, even if we're not able to do all of them, we would see an improvement in the society that we live in. I know that it begins to seem to be a monumental task. We look at Keith the Heights Baptist Church, and we've got four, eight, twelve, thirteen, fourteen people here this afternoon. And we look at the size of just the United States of America, not even the world, but just the United States of America. And it's easy for us to say, what can thirteen or fourteen people do? Thirteen or fourteen people can start a work that God can take to encourage others. And can I tell you this? At some point, these things have got to start if there's ever going to be a difference made in our society. We can't just sit at it and say, boy, somebody ought to do something. We need to look at it and say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm not much. But if you can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people, maybe you could take 14 people who have a desire to see you work in our nation once again. And you can start there. And Lord, if that's what it takes to get it started, then here we are. Are we willing? Or are we skeptical? Questioning whether God can do it with just so few. I think our faith wavers sometimes. Thinking, but Lord, what can I do? The world is too far gone. The task is too great. But not greater than our God. And if God chooses to save by many or by few, that's for Him to decide. Let's just be willing. Okay? Let's just be willing. I hope that will be help. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Bless it and use it. Lord, we... We long... We long so much... For you to do a work in our lives. Lord, I know the task is great and it certainly is tempting for us to look at it and to say, Lord, it is too great for any one person. It's too great for any one church. But Lord, you can use a few. You can take them and you can start something that would spread throughout this entire state, nation.
perhaps even the world. But Lord, it's got to start. And so Lord, if it's going to start, may it start with us. May it start right here. May we be the ones that say, Lord, here it is. You can have all of me. Just take it and use it. Dismiss us with your blessings. We ask that you would help us to leave here with the messages upon our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.